Yeah, all the way from Israel. He's still in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, till the 1st. And he says he'll be in Israel on time for church on Sunday, but we'll see. Um, Yep, it's live. We got it. He's the man. Okay, did I do everything over there I needed? I got that. Yes, okay. So uh, no gem today, so I'm just going to go ahead and read you the 119th Psalm, starting in verse 129. And if I can ever get there, I should have had the page turn. Psalm 119, verse 129, which is pay. Which uh, pay in Hebrew means mouth or entryway. Uh, Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The entrance of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me, as your custom is toward those who love your name. Direct my steps by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. Here we are, Heavenly Father, in your glorious presence. We thank you for the opportunity to come and share in your word. And uh, thank you for this beautiful weather, which has continued on for the past couple weeks and the blue sky and just the beauty that you've lavished upon us here. The gold trees are in full bloom and uh, it's wonderful to drive down the road and see these things. And uh, we thank you for Linda's successful operation. We pray that she's healing well and that all is okay with her today. She's been doing well so far this week. And uh, there's a person that attends online from Scotland who is in very, very grave uh, situation right now and we would pray that you would continue to bring him back to restoration in the hospital and that the hands of the doctors would be skilled and would uh, take care of our brother Graham and uh, and just uh, help him to uh, heal properly and that this would be something that he would be able to get through and to uh, on the other side glorify you through it and uh, we do pray for him and we also pray for uh, my dad who had surgery this morning on his nose that he's doing okay and if there's anybody else that uh, is in the congregation that is having troubles, whether here or whether online, we would pray for them as well. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come together as a, a group and to share in your word. And we love you. And we praise you and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Carol. How are you? Well, good, good, good. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, we got Michelle and uh, Nicole over there. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah, I, I started my, the prayer, and there was a couple people, and all of a sudden we got more folks in here. So uh, Now, just so you guys know, and if anybody else comes in, I'll say this again, but there's four or five chairs turned around in the back row. If there's anything that you want there, take it today. If not, then it's going down to the projects on uh, Saturday. But if there's anything there, please take it, and um, uh, we'll get that out of here. And in that prayer, we have a person named uh, Graham who is in Scotland. He attends online faithfully, and he is not doing well. He's got sepsis, and uh, uh, he's really struggling. So if you think of it when you're praying, keep Graham in prayer, and uh, we'll hope for good news. It's been since Sunday, apparently, while we were in church, there was a post on the uh, the, the wall on YouTube that he is, you know, was rushed to the hospital, and that he's not doing well. So just keep Graham in prayer, please. And uh, how are you doing there? Hi, hi, hi. So we're in uh, the book of Romans. We're going to start that today. Oh, wait a minute. We started that already. But we're, we're, we're moving right along. We're in Romans 3, verse 28. So uh, let's see here. Romans 3, verse 28. And do I want to back up and read anything else? We've got uh, verse 3. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with 27, which is the beginning of a new paragraph. Where is boasting then? Oh, before I go on. We are only having a one-hour class today because of the movie downtown that's here for only one day. It's the Franklin Graham Ebola movie, and I know several of you want to go. So we're going to be finishing promptly at 5.55 so we can pray and be out of here by 6 o'clock. Um, and uh, so, sorry about that. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified apart from the deeds of the law, okay? A man is justified apart from the deeds of the law. Before I even get into my regular commentary, I will say that I was at 
eager beaver car wash this morning, having my truck washed for the first time in six months, maybe. And especially with the oak pollen, why bother? I park under an oak tree. It was caked literally so bad that it was, so I had to have it taken care of. And while I was in there, a lady came in with two big, beautiful dogs. And um, we talked for a while. And eventually, somehow, I had the Bible right there. You know, somehow she figured, hello, how are you? Uh, she figured out that I was a preacher. I don't know what started that. And she asked, what was my favorite thing that I preached on so far? And I was going to say, Jonah, I never got that far. I, I, I said, the, the first thing was Genesis 38, Tamar and Judah. And uh, then I would have said the second thing that I like as much as the book of Jonah. But I was in Genesis 38 explaining to her what was going on. And she was so interested, so interested, until I said, this is a picture of the Gentiles being brought into the covenant. You know, Judah, she receives the, uh, the Erevon. And then I said, and then after that, that returned to Judah. That's a picture of the Jews in the end times. And she flipped. She literally, I've never met an anti-Semite before. I've never met somebody that literally hates the Jews. But um, I, uh, I, I said that, and she says, well, I, I disagree with that. And then she started going into this typical conversation about the Jews of today are not true Jews. There are no true Jews. There never were. Um, she says, I love Jesus. And I, I thought, which Jesus? Which Jesus? Because that's what I asked her. I said, what do you think Jesus was? And she said he was a Palestinian. So she is, she is literally bought into the lie that is she's from Chicago, obviously like a Methodist church or something up there where they hate anything to do with the truth. And well, so and this went on for a while and she started getting more and more belligerent while we're talking. One of the things that she did has to the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it has to do with being justified. She says, I love Jesus and I do I, I do good things. So I know that I'm going to go to heaven or something. And then she brought in the law, and she says, is killing okay? And I'm like, and I, I wasn't thinking, what is she bringing this in for? The Jews. They're killing all of the Arabs. It's obvious to the world they're the problem with the entire world. The problem is the Jews. And I said, I said, so the Arabs are going into Israel, and they're stabbing Jews, and they don't have a right to defend themselves and to kill an Arab that's stabbing them in the neck. And she said, what a horrible thing to say that you would even say that. And she, she was just going off on this as if they have, and here's her logic. There's no such thing as the Jewish people, so they have no right to defend themselves. There is no anti-Semitism, no such thing, because they're not a real group of people anyway. I said, what do you think this book is doing? Where do you think the word Jew came from? Where do you think the word Palestinian came from? From Philistine of the Old Testament, Jew comes from Judah. She She's citing Nag Hammadi scriptures, but the point that I'm getting at, forget all of the rest of that, I just wanted to tell you there are really people out there like this. I've read stuff like this all the time on the internet, but I just think it's a troll was making she stuff up. She, she was my age, maybe oh, a year yeah. or two younger or older, but you know, about my age. But she was literally beside herself that I would believe that the Jews were a real group of people. But my point is the Romans part. I'm doing good things. I love Jesus Christ, and I'm doing good things, and I'm going to get to heaven. And I said, it has nothing to do with good things. And then she got off on the, is it okay to kill thing, which has nothing to do with what we were talking about. I was going to try to give her the gospel and tell her, you're justified apart from deeds of the law. We never got that far. She was she was literally almost yelling in the, uh, the, the lobby. So... Here we go with justification. Therefore, let me. Uh, it, 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 it would not have been worthwhile. It was. It was horrifying. It was. It was horrifying to be there with this person. Um, I'm going to read it again, just so you know where we are. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified. Is justified by faith, not by works, not by not killing people. And that's only one of the Ten Commandments she brought up. All right. So it tells me she's got some defects somewhere else that she doesn't even want to mention. But um, uh, she's, uh, it says uh, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. We're justified by faith, completely justified. That does not mean when you are justified, you are justified. Here's another issue that keeps coming up with emails and people is, is uh, a post this morning on uh, one person posted on Facebook a comment about um, being saved. And then somebody said, well, once saved, always saved isn't true. And he took the book of Matthew and he cited something out of there showing that it's not true. You have to persevere in the, the end and you need to be worthy and all of this. And I went back and I simply said, out of context, who is, Matthew, who is Jesus speaking to in Matthew under what dispensation? 
And the guy flipped out. He must have made 15 posts about, well, why don't you just tear Matthew out of the Bible? Because, and they started going into all these illogical discussions about why the Jews and the church are exactly the same thing. There's no difference, blah, 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 blah. And I, I'm thinking, where do people, what book are they reading? What book are they reading when it's quite apparent that Jesus was speaking to Israel? not to the church, and he was speaking to it before he was crucified. So whatever he is saying does, has nothing to do with justification because Paul says we are justified by faith. And if you're justified, you're not going to lose it. You don't have to persevere in it because Christ will persevere you. He's given you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee, and if he takes it back, it's a pretty crummy guarantee. It's not a guarantee at all, right? Plus, it also means that he made a mistake, and if he made a mistake, then it ain't God because God doesn't make mistakes. So logically thinking through, if this says this and something else in the Bible says something seemingly contrary, then either you're taking it out of context or you've misread it or both, which that person had done both. So uh, they also cited the book of Hebrews, I think verse 3, 6, once again out of context and blah, blah, blah. But he said, just, just rip Matthew and Hebrews out of the Bible and you'll be sufficient. And I'm like, you know, people like that, Okay, so here, here is justification. Here, therefore, let me finish the verse. Um, uh, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Jesus was still under the law until he was crucified. The law was not fulfilled in his blood until his blood was shed, right? He is fulfilling the law. That's the purpose, at least of the three synoptic gospels, is to show us that he was obedient to the Father, under the law of Israel, which, by the way, he wrote, and which he fulfilled, and then he gave up his life. Guess what the uh, s the title of our sermon for Resurrection Day is? Because I typed it uh, Monday, and I know I normally type them ten weeks in advance, but I didn't realize Easter was so quick. So, what is Resurrection Day's um, title? Three words. It is finished. That's it. Okay, that's the title. It is done. It wasn't done when he was talking to Israel. It was not done because he was still doing it, right? His blood wasn't shed. It is finished. Anybody can say that in Greek. I'll give you $10. Come on, somebody. Um. It begins with a T and ends with atelestai. Tetelestai. Okay, it is finished. All right, just wanted to see. Now, you don't forget that because I'm going to give you a quiz on that at the end of the class. Uh, what? Tetelestai. It's from the word teleo, which means completed. Actually, teleo is um, a payment. And so it's paid. And when he says it's finished, it is in the um, uh, uh, perfect tense, which means that it is finished. It is completely finished. It is forever finished. It is done. The law is fulfilled. Amen. Okay. So, therefore, this is Paul. Based on what precedes this statement, which I'm going to read again, where is our boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? No, by the law of faith. Based on what precedes this statement, Paul will now make an absolute and exclusive claim. It is a tenet which defines true Christianity. That lady at uh, oh, Eager Beaver today, she is eager to get into heaven by her own works. That's not true Christianity. I wish she allowed me to give her the gospel, but she was an irate anti-Semite, and she wanted nothing to do with the true Jesus, okay? Um, it, it defines true Christianity and separates it from all other religions on this planet. Every other religion, every single one of them. Can we help you, sir? Not really. Every other religion on the planet deals with one word. What is that one word? What? Works. Works. Every religion, there is no other religion that has ever been or ever will be that is anything but works. That's it. Christianity is different. There are no works to save us because the works are completed by somebody else. Therefore, all we do is put faith in what he did and we are saved. We are justified by faith. Okay? Actually, we're into our comments right now. We've been talking about something else, so you haven't missed a thing. Um, but Ephesians 2.10 tells us to work afterward. That's right, work afterward, but it has nothing to do with our justification. Yeah. We are saved, it is done, it is over, it is finished, complete. Okay, that is the the defining difference between all other religions and Christianity, is do what do we need to do in order to be saved? The question is, is exercising faith a work? No, it's not. Um, I, uh, let me see if I can find that. I brought this up last week, and I know it's in Romans 10 somewhere. Let me see if I can find it uh, really quickly. 
um, faith uh, writes about the, the, the law. Christ is the end of the law, being ignorant of the law. Uh, and it says, um, let me see if I can find the uh, verse that I was thinking of, because I should have looked it up last week. But um, uh, by submitted to the, what's that? Four. Uh, for, well, yes, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. But that's not the one that I, I'm looking for. But the righteousness of faith says, and hang on a second here. Um, okay, it's right here in 10, and by the law of, um, uh, hang on, give me just one second, because I want to get this for you. How shall we say, and how we hear, then we have not believed, whoever calls on the name Lord is rich. Um, uh, confessions made under salvation. And I'm sure it's Romans 10 that I'm looking for, and I should have looked this up, but uh, Christ up from righteousness of faith. What's that? 410? 410. No, no, no. It's not chapter 4, I don't think. Let me see. She, she said 10-4. Oh, 10 four. That's what you said. Christ is the end of the law. She said 10-10. 10 4 with 1. No, no, that's not what I'm looking for. It's the law of faith. By what law? Of faith, he says, um, Christ is the end of the law. And he says, anyway, I'll get it for you. I meant to look for it this weekend, and I've got it on my head, and for some reason I'm not remembering it. But he says, by what law? Of faith? He says, no. Of works? No, of faith. In other words, the law is of faith. The law of faith, because it is, it excludes faith being a work. Anyway, I'll get that and I'll, I'll give well, you the. Uh, Twenty-seven says that. What does it not say? For the, not for the law of, of faith. Okay, well that's what I'm looking for. Where are you? Twenty-seven. Three twenty-seven. Oh well, that's the verse I'm looking for, and that's what. Um, where is boasting then? Okay, it is excluded by what law of works? No, but by the law of. Faith. Okay, thank you. And that's the one we did last week, which is, I, I don't know why I, I went over that in my head. Forgive me. Um, we do. If the law is the law of faith, then faith can't be a work, because he says right here, re read it again. Where is boasting then? It, it is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, he is saying that faith is not a work. Does everybody see that? That is the problem with Reformed theology, because they say that faith is a work, and therefore God must give you faith. You're regenerated in order to believe. Do you see the logic? They say that you cannot exercise your faith. God must regenerate you in order to believe. I don't know why I forgot that last week. Maybe it's because we were talking about it, and I was thinking on a different line. But they say that, therefore, that exercising faith is a work. It's something that comes from you, and therefore you are not saved by faith from yourself. You're saved by faith which is given to you by God, okay? And they equate that with Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But in verse 27, he specifically says, by what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, works cannot be, or faith cannot be works, because he separated the two. Does everybody have that? It's the gift of God, not works. 10.17. That might be what I was thinking of. What's that? It's the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, what is the gift of God? Because in Ephesians 2.8.9, it says, by grace you are saved through faith. And they say it is a gift of God. And people say, well, see it. Faith is something that's given to you. No, because that's a different gender. You've got uh, faith is one gender. Uh, works is, uh, I'm sorry, uh, faith, grace and faith are each one gender. And then this is a different gender from those. So it can't be. It would be like saying John is a nice girl. It doesn't match in gender. But the statement, the statement itself does match, okay? In other words, the statement is what is being referred to, the gift of God. The entire process is the gift of God. Not grace by itself, not faith by itself. The process of being saved by grace through faith is the gift of God. Okay, we'll get to that in a, a couple of years when we get to Ephesians. But just so you understand that faith is not a work. Yes, go ahead. Okay. Grace comes from God. Faith comes from us. No, no, no. The process comes oh, from God. The process. Grace and faith are a process which saves you. That process comes from God. He allows you to be saved by grace through faith. But... Okay. Your faith is something that comes from you. From you. Right. That's right. Okay. okay. The process is what saves you. That is the process God has granted us this process in order to be saved by grace through faith saved. Okay. That is what it's saying. Faith is not a work. One more and then we'll go. Hearing. hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's right. That is exactly right. There. Okay. So here we go again. Um, uh, it, it separates from all other religions. It is also a point of separation between the true faith 
and that which is heretical. So we have faith being the, the way of our salvation in Christianity, separating us from all other religions, but it also separates us from false Christianity. Any heresy, any heretical group within Christianity, Jehovah's Witness are a perfect example, work their way to heaven. They are not trusting fully in the completed and all-sufficient atonement of Jesus Christ. So that separates us from not only other religions, but false religion or false Christianity as well, okay? But, but trying to work their way. They're trying to work their way to heaven, and it's an infinite climb. They will never make it. Um, okay, Paul couldn't be clear in what he is saying. Our justification comes from faith in the merits of Christ Jesus alone. Right. What he has done, our faith in that is what saves us, okay? No deeds of the law. Note that law has no definite article in the Greek. It doesn't say the law, it says law. Thus it says deeds of law have any part in our justification. That excludes any law. That excludes the law of the Gentiles. It excludes the law of the Jews. Any law, there is no deed within that law which can save you. Only faith can save you, okay? No part in our justification. We are justified and declared righteous by faith in Christ and by faith in Christ alone, okay? Now, why is this important? Because we're all saved by faith here, and it doesn't really matter. I'm saved, so I don't need to know this. That is not correct, because you are going to interact with people throughout your life that feel that they need to merit God's salvation. And there are people that are saved, that have trusted in Christ alone, and they still think, I wonder if I've done enough, because they've forgotten what they went through when Christ sealed them. There's no doubt. Now, one of the things that people always bring up is you can't be saved because of this or because of that. You're not doing this or you're not doing that. And I always go back and I give them the example of R.C. Sproul. Who's a saved guy? He's got some funny doctrine, but he's a saved guy. There's no doubt. He's saved. He understands that you are saved by grace through faith, and he has done that. But he said something one time when I was listening to him in my car, and he said, um, you know, when I was 19, I think it was, I was saved. I, I came to know the Lord and blah, blah, blah. And he went through this. And he says, boy, my whole life has changed since then. Almost everything that I believed back then, I believe differently now. I've grown, I've matured, I know all this different stuff. And I thought, was he saved then or is he saved now? All of that knowledge, does that bring him any closer to being saved? He was saved when he trusted Christ. End of story. Everything that follows after that cannot bear on your salvation because if it does then you weren't saved at the beginning then God is fickle for having given you the Holy Spirit because you weren't mature enough or you you've changed your idea about the rapture some people point their fingers at people and say well you believe in mid-tribulation rapture you can't be saved that's so utterly ridiculous take your pet peeve put it in John three sixteen, and if it doesn't fit there drop it okay people find every reason in the world to say you can't be saved because you are saved by grace through faith, and it is not of yourself. It is the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. And as Paul says right here in um, this verse, you are justified by faith apart from the law or deeds of the law. Okay, so don't add in your pet peeves to that. Keep the gospel simple. It says um, uh, we are justified. I said that Martin Luther called this tenet of justification by faith the point upon which the church either stood or fell and he was right. That's it. Either the church believes that you are justified by faith or you are not, and that is it. He got out of Roman Catholicism where they believed that you had to do certain things. And I don't know if you know the story of Martin Luther, but he was this, he went in to be a monk. He wanted to ensure that he was going to heaven. He was a neurotic. He was completely beside himself because like every human being, he's got all of these crazy ideas at night. He's lying in bed and he was perpetually going down and telling the guy down there, I need to confess this sin. I need to confess that sin. He was so worried about being saved before God. And he went to Rome and, you know, you've got to climb up these stairs on your knees and you've got to say Hail Marys and you've got to do all these things. And he was trying to do everything possible to get this burden off of his heart. And he was just completely beside himself, never sure that he was saved ever. And then one time somebody says, here, just read this. Maybe this will help you. And they handed him the Bible. And he got to the book of Romans, and he, his life was changed. And he became a staunch advocate of justification by grace through faith, because that's what the Bible says. And that's when he came. He wasn't trying to end Catholicism or break away from it. He was trying to reform it. That's why it's called the Reformation. They're trying to reform the church, and they wouldn't be reformed. And they had a complete schism. 
1546, the Catholic Church stopped being anything Christian at all. Still Christians in the Catholic Church, don't get me wrong. There are good people in bad churches, but the Catholic Church completely separated itself from true Christianity in 1546 at the Council of Trent, okay? And that's why we have the Reformation, which is now needing to be reformed because almost all the reformed churches have gone the way of the dodo or as far as justification. <laughs> But this is the problem that we have in the world is that people eventually find out that if you are justified by faith and you tell that to your people, you don't have any control over them. But if you tell them that you need to do this or I need to watch you for this or that, they're going to give you a lot of money. They're going to dedicate their time to you. They're going to do all of these things because they don't want to be on the out when Jesus comes, right? It's freedom to know that you are justified by faith. And unfortunately, churches don't want that type of freedom for people. So um, let's see here. Um, any denomination or person who proclaims anything other than this tenet that, that you are justified by faith is not a Christian entity because it is a foundational principle of the work of Christ. It's, there are several foundational principles. This is one of them and probably the preeminent one. Only Christ was born sinless and lived the law perfectly. Once again, back to the three synoptic gospels, showing us that he lived perfectly under the law in order to meet God's perfectly righteous standards, okay? In contrast, we have both inherited sin, which he didn't have, and we have further added sins to our account before God. Only Christ didn't do either of those. No inherited sin, no sin within his life. Flawless at his death, okay? We cannot claim that. Therefore, to claim that we somehow participate in our justification, as the Roman Catholic Church says you must do, would call into question the righteousness of God, and it would malign his holiness. If we have a part in saying what he did there, we have to add to that, then it's saying that what he did was insufficient. You're maligning the holiness of God, which is demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ. You're saying that, God, you are not capable of doing what your whole word says you're going to do. You are going to get us back to Eden. It doesn't say that man is going to participate or cooperate in his salvation. It says that he will do the work, and that is all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through. The book of Leviticus, I'm going to repeat again and again and again, one precept, all the way through. Aaron did what at the end of his life? He died. Moses did what? He died, right? They went and they sacrificed at the tabernacle one time, two times, a hundred times. They did it again and again. Every year on the Day of Atonement, they did it. Every person that came there did it. And not one of them is still alive today. If you do these things, you will die. No. Leviticus 18, 5, the man who does these things shall live by them. That's right. They're all dead. Every one of them is dead. They did not live by them. They couldn't do them. I'm going to say that in almost every Leviticus sermon that we go through, man was destined to not be able to fulfill the law. It's not that God's trying to lord it over him and saying, well, I could do it. Why couldn't you? It was to show us our utterly desperate need for Jesus, that he will redeem us. If we say that we cooperate in that, then Jesus came for absolutely no reason at all. We can work our way to heaven. We can do it on our own. We don't need you, and that's what every religion on this planet does, and that's what heretical sects within Christianity do. I am going to work, and I am going to be saved. That lady at Eager Beaver this morning said that as much, and I tried to stop her and just say, let's get off of the Jew thing. Let's just show you about the law, and she couldn't get beyond it. She just was violent. This one guy walked by and said, boy, that's an argument. I'm like, I'm not arguing. She was beside herself. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, Let's see here. To deny justification by faith alone would be comparable to denying that Jesus was born of a virgin or that the Bible wasn't divinely inspired. Probably one of those two, at least, she believed. I know definitely the second one, virgin birth, I don't know. But to deny one or either of those is a heresy. Why? Because if you believe that Jesus was not born of a virgin, then he inherited Adam's sins, right? We don't know. We don't know one. And secondly, it calls into question the Bible, which is telling us that Jesus was born of a virgin. So both of them, they are both heresies to say that God's now you don't. This is something we need to understand, though. A heresy will keep the next guy from not being saved. 
You don't have to tell somebody. When you go up to somebody and tell them about Jesus dying for your sins and you need to receive that in order to be saved, <laughs> do you tell them that this is God's inspired word and you absolutely have to believe that it's inerrant, infallible word of God? Nobody even brings that up. That's not an issue. It is an issue if you tell somebody when you start your gospel presentation, well, we don't have a sure word. The Bible has all kinds of errors and it's not really inspired by God. That person will call on a false Jesus. If you introduce that type of a thought into their head, they will call on a false Jesus because they don't believe that God is capable of even giving us his word. So it's not necessary to be to know this in order to be saved. What is necessary in order to be saved is to call on Jesus. But if you tell them in advance that this is a, a book with errors in it, then that means they're calling on somebody that is already in question. They will not be saved. So keep the gospel simple, get them saved, and then give them begins with D, ends with doctrine. Give them right doctrine. That's right. Okay. So um, that's what we need to remember. So either tenet of Jesus born of a virgin or the Bible not being divinely inspired, either tenet being false would negate the truth of the Christian faith, which it does. If you say the Bible has got errors in it, you have denied a principal tenet of the Christian faith. The same is true with this one that we're talking about, justification by faith. It is this concept above all others which caused the final break from the Roman Catholic Church during the Protestant Reformation. The final straw was justification by faith. Because they, if that is true, they can no longer say, well, we'll sell you indulgences and that'll get you out of purgatory. They lose all of that income. They lose all of that bondage over their people. And so they have a valid, or up to them, a valid reason for keeping people not believing in justification by faith. Because if you're justified, that means you're saved. It is done. It is finished, as it says in John chapter 19. It is finished. That's right. So life application. Where does your denomination teach, what does your denomination teach about justification by faith alone? Everybody should know if you're attending a different church what it teaches. What does your preacher believe concerning this tenet? Because as we've talked about in a couple other classes, not the preacher doesn't always teach what the denomination proclaims. Sometimes there's a good preacher and a crummy denomination, and sometimes there's a good denomination with a really crummy preacher. You don't always know which is which, right? Um, go find out, and if they differ from Paul's words in this verse on justification, then you need to find another place to worship. Absolutely, you need to get out of there. This is serious stuff, okay? That's important, yes. Charlie, I heard on the Christian radio station that um, we fish with the gospel, God cleans them up. That's right. We fish with the gospel, God cleans them up. That is exactly right. We give them the gospel, they get saved, God will clean them up. Now, they need to do something in the process, all right? They need to, to pursue God through the word, through right instruction, but you, the main thing for you as a Christian is to tell people about Jesus. From there, they have the onus on them to get in there, to read his word. He will clean them up through his word. He will clean them up through right instruction. And we are all responsible for where we are in our doctrine because it's up to us to say, well, that preacher isn't, or that teacher will say, that teacher is not proclaiming what the Bible says. I know that. I don't know why I know that, but now I need to find out why. You need to study. This is important because all of this after salvation comes down to rewards. What will you be rewarded for? In the end, every single thing that you receive rewards for will be because you had, it, it was tied to one word, faith. It was tied to faith. If you don't have faith in whatever you're doing, why would God give you a reward for it? Mm. If I'm going down to the projects because I think I'm going to, you know, meet nice girls, or if I'm going to go down to the projects because I, uh, whatever crazy reason, if I'm not doing it for faith, it, it's it, of no use. That Go back to the Old Testament. What does Isaiah say to the people of Israel, the Lord through Isaiah, about bringing their stuff, you know, their, their sacrifices, their burnt offerings, and all of these things? And he says they're useless. Who told you to do this? You're trampling my courts. You're doing all of these terrible things, and yet you expect me to accept your offering? Why? Because the offering was not one of faith. If they had faith in what they were presenting, they wouldn't have needed that. But they thought that they were righteous before God on their own. And so they're bringing these offerings, and he's like, why are you bothering? If you're already righteous, what good is this offering? Yes. When you talk to people, you tell them about the gospel, John 3, 16, right. and so on, and they believe, they have faith. Right. How do you get them beyond interested 
in learning more. Everybody is different. I got to tell you what, everybody is different on that one. I have people email me all the time and asking like, that question. Well, and they I, don't have to go to church if they have faith. Well, that's true. And that's what I'm saying is that it, 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 there are a lot of people like that, but you have to tell them, you know what, as Burke said, we're saved unto good works. Well, what does that mean? And what, how does that relate to their eternity when they're, when they stand before the Lord? And you have to tell them that everything that happens after salvation is important because that's what determines your position in heaven for all of eternity. Have him watch Paul's uh, opening comments every week at the Superior Word, because that's what he's talking about, is what happens after salvation? What happens as far as rewards and losses? That is, everybody's going to respond to that differently. Some people don't care. Salvation is all they care about, and they're sufficient with that. Some people want to know every detail about Christ. Everybody's on their own page, but you have to kind of spur them on. You have to tell them a logical reason why they need to grow in in doctrine and in holiness and walking before the Lord properly. Everybody is different. It's really hard to gauge one from you know, another. It's like trying to put dangle a piece of candy. That's right. And that's what you want to do sometimes is dangle a piece of candy. That's why. Why do you think I say when there's something really great in a sermon coming up in three weeks, I'll bring that up? Say, wait until that sermon. I do that a lot, don't I? Why do you think I do that? Because I want people to come in and watch the sermon. I want them to know what I have learned and which excites me to no end that they will say, I want to know about that. Whether they come in here, whether they watch online, I do that for a reason. It's And I don't tell you what it is ever, do I? Because I, if I do, you've got no reason to watch the other 45 minutes of a 46-minute long sermon. Because... That's the only thing that Charlie was focused on. Well, guess what? It might be in the middle. It might be at the beginning. It might be at the end. you got to come and see. That's why I do that. It's because you have to give people a carrot for them to want to pursue this word. And if you don't give them a carrot, they're just going to sit at home and watch TV. I'm saved. I've talked to a million people that say that. I'm saved. It doesn't matter. It does. It does matter. 329. Um, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, right? Okay, here's what it says. The case against favoritism, prejudice, and presumption has been fully substantiated. He's made the case. He's laid it out. The Bible makes it perfectly clear that there is how many gods? One. One God, okay? All right? The triune God does not mean a, I'm sorry, the the God presented in the Bible, the Trinity, does not mean a triad. A triad is three gods sitting in one throne, okay? That's not the God of the Bible. There is one God who reveals himself in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? We'll go through that again sometime. I'm not going to go through it now, but people will say, well, you believe in three gods. Absolutely not. That has never been a tenet of Christianity is three gods. There is one God who has revealed himself in three persons, one essence, three persons, okay? The case against, um, I'm sorry, the great affirmation of this fact is quoted by observant Jews around the world each and every day. Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're all the Lord, Okay. Um, Jesus restated the truth of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, when he cited it in Mark 12, verse 29. He was asked a question, wasn't he? Let's go there just so I can read it to you. Mark 12, 29 says, um, so we know that it's a true statement if we believe that Jesus is Lord, that what he says must be true. The Old Testament says that it cites the Shema. And what did I say that first was? Um, uh, Mark 12, 29. Okay, so Mark 12. And then, uh, let me see, where are we? Um, then one of the scribes, verse 28, came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered him well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all of the commandments is, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay, and you shall love, actually it doesn't say Adonai, Adonai means Lord when you're speaking about him, it actually says Jehovah, okay, Jehovah is one, or Jehovah is one, but you say out of respect, Adonai, okay, just so you know, um, and you shall love Adonai your God, or Jehovah your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, this 
is the first commandment. He is one God, and you are to love him as he just instructed. That is what Jesus proclaimed. There's one God. Now, we have a problem in our thinking because the Bible clearly shows that there is a Father. The Bible clearly shows that the Holy Spirit has all of the attributes. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. He's um, all-powerful, right? And we also know that Jesus says, all authority has been presented unto me. And later, Jesus is called uh, John 1.1. 1, 1, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By him, all things, all, all things were created through him, and nothing that was created has been made uh, created apart from him. I know I blew that. Anyway, um, and so we know he's the creator. He has all power. And then we also know that he reads, reads the hearts and the minds, implying that he's everywhere all the time reading our hearts and minds. So he's omnipresent. So he's got all the attributes of the Father. The Holy Spirit's got all the attributes of the Father. And yet there's only one God. How do we explain that? Trinity. The Trinity. One essence, three persons, okay? Um, and the second is like this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, okay? So we got that. Um, let's see here. Um, the concept of there being but one God is reaffirmed repeatedly through the New Testament as well, throughout the New Testament, okay? Never do you find anybody saying that there are three gods. Never, okay? Paul doesn't say that. Jude doesn't say that. Peter and John don't say that. None of the writers in the New Testament would dare say that there is more than one God. They all agree that there is one God, okay? So if there is only one God, then he must be God of all. This fact is being presented in order to establish what is already painfully obvious, but which Paul will clarify anyway in the coming verse. Not the one we're in now, and maybe we'll get it today. The Jewish nation traces its ancestry back to Abraham, right? All the way back to Abraham. Father Abraham through Isaac, but Abraham had another son also, didn't he? Ishmael, okay? Because both of them came from Abraham, and Abraham was justified by faith prior to the rite of circumcision, and then Abraham and both sons were circumcised, then it must be that God is the justifier of all people apart from the law. All people, okay? The circumcision mandated in the law cannot be a source of boasting or one which makes a claim on God because it was actually instituted prior to the law of Abraham's declaration of righteousness in Genesis 15, verse 6, right? And the declaration was made based on works, right? Faith was based on faith, simple belief in God's promises. Circumcision wasn't for many years later. It was two chapters later, chapter 17, the chapter of circumcision, right? It can be deduced apart from the Bible that there is only one God. When we peer into the pages of the Bible, we need to continually remind ourselves that he is God. Where am I? Um, oh, we need to, yeah, that he is God of all people. When it seems as though he treats different people differently, it is because we are misunderstanding what he has done and why. I had somebody email me about that over the past week. Are Jews better than us? I'm not a Jew and blah, blah. And he was asking very pertinent questions. He wasn't being smart at all. He was just asking this, how do I know? And I explained this to them. In the end, all must come to him in exactly the same way, by faith alone doesn't matter if you're Isaac or if you're Ishmael or if you're Abraham or anybody else. It is by faith alone. The badge of circumcision does not matter, except as it was instructed to the people they were required to do it. But that's not what saved them, okay? That was a sign of them being the covenant people, okay? Don't forget this fact and be reassured that God is completely fair in how he deals with all people. In all situations, God is completely fair. We're not going to be able to go up there and say, well, you gave me a bum rap in life. I was born without a left leg, and this guy, you know, had both legs and both hands, and he was a millionaire, and I lived in poverty, or I was born in Africa in 1222 B.C., and he was born in uh, New York City in 1987. None of that is going to be something that we can question God on. God is sovereign, and when he deals with people, he deals completely fairly with all people. All people. There is nothing unfair in God, and we will see that perfectly when we stand before him. Okay? Verse 330. Okay. Oh, we're almost done with the chapter. Maybe we, I, I don't know if we're going to get up, both sure. of them done, but yes. You said about the Trinity. Two, two verses will help. Okay. Okay. John 10, 30. Okay. I am my father. Or, or one. That's right. Then John 14, uh, verse 18. Right. I will not leave you orphans. 
I will come to you. Jesus was saying that. That's right. So it's showing all three. All three. All three there. That's right. Right there. So. And then he promises the helper. He's coming, but he's coming through the helper. Yeah. So it's one God. It's very clear. It's just, and we'll go through that. I'll show you the timeline again. We've done that a couple times, and we'll you do it again Charlie, so you can. Yes. The Bible also speaks, although Mabel and I are different people. Right. We, when we married, we are one. You're one. That's right. You are one. I, I think about that all the time. You are one. You're one in your marriage, even though you're two different people. Now, that's a, almost modalism. We don't want to take it too far. It's like um, having uh, some people use ice. It's um, uh, ice and water and uh, steam. And you've got different things. But another one, and all of these you got to be careful with. Each one of them you have to be careful with. I could say I'm a father, I'm a son, and I'm also a brother, right? So I'm doing three different roles at the same time. Once again, that's almost leaning to modalism, but it does help people to understand that you can have three things and still be one thing. But the the clearest example of all, and I'm not going to give it to you today, but we will go through it, is time. Because time is just one thing. And I'll real quickly, I'll, I'll lay it out where you can see it. But time is future, it's present, and it's past. They're all the same thing. They've all always existed. They all always will exist since time began. And yet you're looking at it from a different perspective. And God is outside of that. He sees just one thing. Okay. We see three different things. I see the future coming, but I, anyway, we'll go through that and you'll, it'll help clear things up for you, but um, don't want to do that today. Okay. 330. Um, uh, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Okay. Both Testaments wholly and completely established the truth that there is one God. We went through that already. This was noted in the previous verse, and accept, accepting the notion of the Trinity in no way implies polytheism. Like I said, the Jehovah's Witnesses will come to you and you'll say, well, the Bible never says the word Trinity, and that's polytheistic. No, just because something is not in the Bible explicitly does not mean that it's not implicitly taught. Original sin is not mentioned in the Bible. Do you know it never says original sin? Hmm. Does the Bible teach original sin? Hmm. Yes, right? Oh, oh. Yeah, Adam sinned. There was original sin, okay? The word rapture is not in the Bible. Does the Bible teach a rapture? Hmm. Absolutely. You can't, unless you do this when you're reading 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, <laughs> or unless somebody tells you in advance, this doesn't say what it actually says, you can, you're going to come to no other conclusion. You are not going to come up with a theology that says, oh, this doesn't say that we're going to be taken out of here in the twinkling of an eye. That is what it says. You have to have that trained out of you. You have to have it trained out of you. Same thing with the Trinity, okay? Trinity is noted as three persons in one essence. Although the term persons, and I want to make this understood, even the person that gave us the term persons said this isn't a great appellation, we, it, it, but there's nothing better we can use. That was Augustine, okay? Um, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's necessary to use some word, so we use the word persons. Time is, oh, I'm going to talk about it a little bit here. Time is three states in one essence, past, present, and future. All three exist equally, and at the same time, and yet they differ from each other. They are different reference points from within the stream of time. This no, in no way implies polychronism. Okay, you got, chronism would be the stream of time, chronos, time, like your chronology or your chronometer, right? Okay, are we teaching polychronism when we say there's a past, a present, and a future? No, there's one time. Nobody says that's polychronism, it's just time, okay? So, um, and that was a word I made up, um, anyway, um, or multitude of times. It is one thing, essentially. Proclaiming a trinity within the Godhead is to affirm one God. Okay, I think I made that up. I, I, maybe I didn't, but I'm pretty sure I made up polychronism. Anyway, this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. God's mean of justification does not change. The law cannot save, and so faith in God and in his provision, even under the law, is necessary in order to be saved. You have to go through Jesus, a person under the law who lives the law scrupulously. Think of Paul, 
and yet doesn't have faith in what the law teaches is as far from God as the most vile sinner. Now, Paul believed that the law taught something, but I was using his, him as an example of living scrupulously, okay? But he didn't have faith in what the law was pointing to, which is Jesus. So in essence, he didn't have faith in the law that he was adhering to because he had missed Christ. Anyway, we'll go on. Um, he, 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 you're, you're just as lost following the law perfectly as you are of being the worst heathen, pagan, murdering person on the planet. You're no closer to God. You're still infinitely separated from him, right? Okay, and the vile sinner who understands his state under the law and yet has faith in the mercy of God is closer to God than the most obedient soul who lacks faith. Jesus showed us this in the parable which is found in Luke 18. Let me read that to you. You probably already know which one I'm going to go to, but I'm going to read it anyway, and we'll hope that we can finish this in 10 minutes, or actually 5 minutes. Luke 18, and it says here, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Verse 9, that they were righteous and despised others. Somebody meticulous under the law, scrupulous under the law, right? Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, he's the scrupulous one, and the other a tax collector. Somebody that knows that he's a sinner, and he's a sinner, okay? The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God... I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. Big deal. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Why? Because he didn't have faith in, he didn't have faith in the guy down here did. He knew that the law would condemn him. That guy thought he was justified by the law. There was no faith in him. It was all works. I've done this, I've done that, I've done that. He was completely as far away from God as he could be because he's trusting in himself. That guy's trusting in the mercy of God. He has faith in it. So there you go. Um, where are we? Three? Oh, this train of thought is repeated throughout the Old Testament and throughout Jesus' teachings as he cited the law, reminding those around him of this truth. He kept doing it and doing it and doing it. He went a million different ways, but he kept bringing it back to the same thing. Okay? This fact, the fact is that if a person could be justified through observance of the law, then God would be the God of only those under the law. Everyone outside of the law would, by default, be excluded, right? If the law can save you, then that's it. He doesn't need anybody else because that's why he chose Israel and pulled them out apart from the nations. Nobody else has the law, so they can't be saved at all. If you can be justified by the law, right? Everybody would be out. But this is not the case. In all times and in all ways, it is by faith that one stands justified before God. Old Testament knew always it's by faith. However, it must be proper faith. Misdirected faith is, after all, wasted faith. Once again, do Muslims have faith when they go blow themselves up? Yeah, they just have misdirected faith. They think that they're earning heaven. They've got faith that what they're doing is going to get them where they're going. It still works, but it's a faith in their works, right? It's misdirected faith because they're still trusting in themselves. And they're not trusting in God's provision. Jehovah's Witnesses... They think they're on the right path. They're working their way to heaven, but they have faith that their works are getting them to heaven. It is misdirected faith, okay, based on works. It has nothing to do with true faith, which is based on Christ's works, okay? So where does this leave deeds? The question is valid because as the New Testament progresses, we're going to be faced, as Burke brought up earlier, with the concept of bearing fruit, such as in Romans chapter 7. And faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, James chapter 2, right? The answer cannot be that deeds further justify us in our standing before God, because that's what the canons of the Roman Catholic Church say. Not only do they say you need to have deeds in order to be saved, you need to have deeds in order to continue to be justified before God. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe me, we'll go through the canons again. I've already gone through them once, but it's uh, the Council of Trent, the canons that they submitted, I think it's nine of them, actually completely dismiss the word of God completely, and they reinsert works in order to be saved, all right? If this were so, then a person who accepted Jesus and that got run over by a train wouldn't be as saved as someone who got saved and then lived a long life helping others and doing good stuff, right? 
because you're getting more and more saved. So if a person on the cross next to Jesus believes that Jesus is the Savior, and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, right? Okay? And he dies. Well, he's not as saved as the guy that uh, was down at the end at the, the bottom of the cross, and he said, gee, that guy saved him, and I want that too, and now I'm going to be saved. I'm going to do good works for Jesus all the rest of my life, and he's going to be more saved than the guy on the cross. You're either saved or you're not saved. There's no such thing as more saved, right? Okay? The deeds after salvation... The deeds after salvation, those done in faith for the sake of the gospel, must then accrue to our account. Not for salvation, but for rewards. That's right, for rewards. This is an important point, and it is the dividing line between heresy and truth concerning justification before God. The Council of Trent separated the Roman Catholic Church from saving faith. They completely gave it up. They signed that document, and the church went off on the wrong tangent after that. It is done. There can be saved people in a bad church, but the church itself does not teach salvation properly if they hold to the tenets of the church. Once again, people may not even know what their church proclaims. You can be saved in a, a bad church, or you can you know, uh, you can have a preacher that doesn't know what the, the denomination teaches. I said that earlier. Or you can have a denomination that uh, vice versa from the preacher, whatever I just said. You see what I'm saying? Not everybody knows everything that's going on in a church. And you can be just as saved as you want to be in a church that doesn't teach uh, the truth of Jesus. Or you can be a, a person that teaches the truth in Jesus and not saved in that church. Mm -hmm. Been in Baptist churches where they proclaim the gospel, and yet there are people that weren't saved in that church, I'm sure. I'm not going to point fingers at them, but you know what I'm saying is that there are certainly people in churches that are not saved that they preach the gospel every week. So it can go either way is what I'm saying. Okay. Deeds after salvation accrue to our account, not for salvation, but rewards. And this is an important point, and it is the dividing line between heresy and truth concerning justification before God. I said that. It is by faith alone and nothing added. Nothing that we stand justified before God. Now, before I read, continue reading the comments, what does that mean about eternal salvation? If you can't add to your salvation, you are saved by faith alone and nothing else. And then you have to do something in order to be saved, or you have to not do something in order to keep being saved, then it means it wasn't you weren't saved in the first place. Because it is a work. It doesn't matter when it happens along the stream of your salvation. If you need to do something or not do something in order to keep your salvation, it is a work for justification. Salvation must be eternal. I hate to tell people, but they if they can't get that through their head, then they are down, going down a very dangerous path. Because if Jesus saved me, and he says, now you need to do this, 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 and this, and this in order to continue to be justified, then he didn't save you in the first place, right? You were not saved. That is how important this tenet is. Everything you do after salvation comes down to to rewards and losses. Yes? A couple things. Um, wasn't Paul, uh, he was speaking to the Gentiles and not necessarily anyone that was saved. And James was talking to people that were saved. He was talking, no, Paul is speaking about being justified before God. James was also speaking about justification, but he was saying something different. And we're going to get to James. It's going to be, um, it's 2017 and beyond. 2052, we're going to, no, I'll go through James, 224 especially. But This is a, this whole thing you and I have had many discussions. Yes, this, right? it always comes back to faith. I'll and tell you. People, I'll, I have so many people that will say to me, oh, I mean, over and over again, they'll go, well, they're, they're wor they're, they can't be saved. Their works just don't show it. That's right. And they pull out James every single Every time. single time. But every single thing, and i got to get done because we only have I two know. minutes left, but every single thing that James cites as a work is preempted by him in the book of Hebrews, which comes before or after James. <laughs> comes before James, before right? James. right? So James is the 59th book of the Bible. Hebrews is the 58th book of the Bible. And in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, by faith, the the harlot Rahab did this, and then he cites it in the 59th book saying it was a work. So it was a work of faith. Faith, faith saves. Okay, but we'll get into that in detail sometime. Or you can go watch my sermon on that from Grace Baptist Church. It's on the uploads. It's under we Grace Sermons. People need to understand that. It is always faith. Well, always, God always. Alone re reads our mind and tests our hearts. That's right. He alone, he alone reads us. our minds and tests yeah. our hearts. That's right. Okay, I'm going to finish this right now. And we'll be done. It is by faith alone with nothing added. And the properly directed faith in Jesus and his works. 
This will be explained in the last verse of this chapter, which we're not going to get to today. Life application, we're done. What is the motive for your deeds? If it is to attain salvation and a right standing with God, then you are far, far from him. You have missed the grace of God as displayed in the work of Jesus for your salvation. Rather, trust in what Jesus has done, that it is all sufficient to save you. All sufficient. And then, O saved soul, go forth doing good deeds out of a grateful heart in the salvation God has lavished upon you through his son, Jesus. And because you brought up the uh, last point today, do it loud, but please pray us out. Heavenly <laughs> Father, thank you for the words of wisdom that come from your uh, word. And thank you for Charlie for being a vessel to teach us, uh, help us to live by faith and to use our works as a demonstration of our faith. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, anybody going to the movie? Get on your uh, driving shoes and let me back this up really quickly and we'll say goodbye to them. Let's see here. We're going to go to break. Break? Yes, break. And three, two, one. There we go. Okay, we love you all. Have a wonderful week. Take good care of yourselves. The what? Oh, yes, I'm going to get that. I just didn't want to forget what I was doing and living by faith in the word of God. dum de dum de do And away I trod. Okay, this goes here. Hi. Um, it should be, yes. It, um, if it's not, let me know. But I did put it back there. I can't believe how quickly that hour is. It took me 17 minutes to get off the key. I, I, I left a 20 tail. It's just terrible.